Let's open with number 52. Lord, we are thine. Like that passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 when David is uh, in a stronghold and certain men of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin come to him and the chief of the captains, Abishai says to him, Thine are we, David. I like that. Apply that to ourselves. We can say, Thine are we, Lord Jesus. Let's sing 52. Lord, we are thine. afternoon that we can sing that we are thine. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for going into death, suffering for us there in those hours of infinite suffering, that precious shed blood that cleanses from all sin, for that present place of favor now, our God and Father, we stand before thee as sons. We thank thee, our God and Father, for the liberty thou hast brought us into, that we might know thy thoughts and share with thee thy love and thy delight in thy beloved Son. And our God and Father, now as we intend to open thy precious word, we uh, tremble as we do so, for it is thy word. Grant, our God, that it might be spoken in faithfulness and in clarity. Grant that what should be said this afternoon will be said, and what should not be said will not be said. We seek thy help, thy guidance for us, our God and Father. We do pray for each one. We pray for our younger brother in a particular way, younger ones in the workforce and in this world that thou hast Grant guidance, instruction from thy precious word, and for indeed we need it. We ask it now, our Father, commending thy word to thee for blessing, in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
and ask you to turn first, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But before we read a few verses in the middle of this chapter, I'd like to make some general comments by way of an introductory uh, sense. I have a letter at home. I value it very greatly. It was written to my grandmother by a man by the name of J.T. Armit. And my grandmother, she and her husband were inquiring as to the path of the truth as to the assembly. And Brother Armit had some correspondence with them. And in this one letter that comes to mind, he spoke of seven different authorities that the believer recognizes. Two supreme authorities and five subordinate authorities. The two supreme authorities are God and Christ. You say, well, is not Christ God? Indeed, he is. But we have God dwelling in his absolute essence. And then the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who became man. And we find in John chapter 5 that all judgment has been committed to the Son. And later on we find that all judgment has been committed to the Son because he is the Son of Man. All judgment, indeed all judgment has been committed to the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus. And so we find even whether it's the coming day of his appearing, when the Lord Jesus in those warrior judgments levels all that's here that defies him at this present hour, or those times when he brings the nations before him and he judges as a judge sitting upon a throne, or even at the great white throne, you know, in a King James Version that says, I saw the dead small and great stand before God. I wondered, why is it say stand before God? Is not the Lord Jesus there in his character, the Son of Man? And just as an aside, it's interesting, it says in the Darby translation, stood before the throne. And yes, it is the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus himself, that will sit on the throne. Supreme authorities. But there's five subordinate authorities. I want to take up one of them this afternoon. But we'll briefly mention them. The first is the government. Two things were to do for the government. No, not complain and criticize, but to pray and submit. 1 Timothy 2, I will that men everywhere pray for those that are in authority, that we might live our lives in all godliness and honesty. We're to pray for the powers that be. The other thing we're to do, Romans 13, we're to submit, to obey them that are over us. That's the government. There is the sphere of the assembly. There is authority vested in the assembly. And, again, the assembly... The authority is vested in it in a local setting. You could not have it in a universal way. It just would not work out. Where does the assembly get its authority when it makes an action? It is in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a very sobering thing, very uh, heavy to consider, taking an action, failing men, taking an action in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the assembly. Very serious. It's even more serious to resist an action taken in that name. There's two authorities in the home. There is the husband in relationship to the wife. There are the parents in relationship to the children. Fathers are specially singled out for instruction, but there are two authorities there as well. Subordinate authorities that were to honor and respect. The last one I'd like to mention, you say, perhaps that's the least important of them all. But it's what I have before me this afternoon, and that's the the thought of the employer and having uh, recognized that subordinate authority in our life. You know, sometimes we have little disagreements at the dinner table, and 
And um, we often hear this, and I grew up hearing it, maybe you have too. Oh, you don't want to be over the young people's head. No, we don't want to be. Paul said, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Or in other words, I would rather speak five words and people understand what is being said than 10,000 words in an eloquent tongue and no one gets it. But my greater concern oftentimes is we do not want to speak down to anybody. Because what I have this afternoon is not deep and it's not complex. It's rather straightforward. And you know, at the end of a meeting, it's nice if we can learn something, not just have an exhortation of something that we already know. I recognize that. But you know, there was something that um, came before me uh, of late. I've, I've shared this with some. Oh, over 25 years ago, there was an older couple in the assembly, and, and uh, the brother was really a career military man or connected with the military. He and his wife were not young when they married. They had no children. They were an older couple in the assembly, and they were celebrating their 50th anniversary. And they effectively had no family, so the brethren put a little meal together for them on Saturday afternoon. As you say, they had no family with one exception. The, the uh, brother had a sister who came to this get-together. And it was a happy time, and the brother spoke briefly. He said, um, he said very little. I mean, I can remember him giving him number six out in the breaking of bread. Frequently, Jesus, how much thy name unfolds. But other than that, they were very quiet. And as I say, they carried themselves in a quiet dignity. So I walked with them out to the car. And the brother said, Billy, there was something I wanted to say to the dear young people this afternoon. But I didn't say it. And I said, what was it, Brother Walter, that you wanted to say to the dear young people? And I'm getting prepared for a nice, rich response. Something along the lines of Barnabas saying to those in Antioch that with purpose of heart, they would cleave to the Lord. But he said, what I wanted to tell them is, your boss is not in business to give you a job. Your boss is in business to make money. That's what I wanted to say to the dear young people. I was a bit disappointed. But over the years, I've realized the brother had something there. And so this afternoon, what I would like to address, and as we've witnessed things over the years, we speak of a sphere of service. We pray for the work and the reasons beyond. We're thankful for that. We recognize the importance of a mother's care within the home. What a marvelous sphere of service that is. But to consider the workplace as a sphere of service for the Lord. There is more in Scripture, more in the New Testament, than perhaps we assume that relates to this relationship. I'm speaking specifically of servants and masters and perhaps in an ancillary way, stewards. Stewards are really... Managers that have the care of another's goods and responsible to hold it properly. And so as we read through perhaps six different references in the epistles, I would just like to make some comments on them. And I just lay it out in the spirit of some of these things have been a help to me. I simply would pass them on to you, especially those that are getting into the workplace that may be of, of help to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
Start with verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's freeman. Likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. As I say, I would like to take this thought up with respect to the workplace as a sphere of Christian service. Now, some of you might be getting a little bit nervous as to where I'm going with that. So let me state a couple things up front. Your boss is not paying you to evangelize. But I would say this. We need to take up our employment in everything that we do as unto the Lord, that there, if there is opportunity to say a word, that all the weight of our work stands behind it. This world does not want to hear a lazy employee exhort them about the Savior. I was just young at the time, barely 20 years of age, worked at working uh, at night, and I will admit my lack of faithfulness in the gospel was more out of fear than uh, anything else. So I appreciated the remarks about Timothy of having the spirit of courage, not the spirit of fear. We can look to the Lord to help us to overcome our natural weakness. I worked with a man. He looked a lot like the president at that time, Jimmy Carter. He'd come into the room, in the, the, the store, and people would say, well, here's the president is here. He was a very nice man, a dynamic individual, really. Good worker. He was nothing but kind to me, helpful to me, give, you, give me things. He was, I loved to work with this man. Never did I hear him say one off-colored remark. But consistently, I have if, rarely, if ever, heard a man so blasphemous, taking God's name in vain. And cursing the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Time went by, years went by. I didn't work with him frequently, but I did. And I just didn't have the liberty or I did not have the courage to say something to him. But the time comes, I was moving on to a new opportunity. I care for that man deeply. And I said, I've got, I've got to, in some way, give him to speak to the Lord. His name was Sheldon. Now Forty years old than I am. I suppose he's long dead now. Called him Shelley. I said, Shelley, I said, you've given me a lot over the last few years. I want to give something to you. And I would like to give you this gospel track. Tells of God's love and the way of salvation. Looked at me. I'll take it. I'll take it from you, Bill. The only reason I'm going to take it for you from you is because you work. There was a woman I used to work with. She was preaching at me constantly. I have no use for that. I'll accept from you. Thank you. That's all it went. I just say that because there's an observation that the world has for you. Mention was made in the meetings about a man that went over to, was in the military and came back, never, never, I guess, read the scriptures, bowed on his knees in prayer or anything, and people didn't know that he was the Lord. I will say this. You may never have said anything to anyone about the Lord, but the world has a way of, Finding out the believers. You may be hiding your light under the bushel and all the time the world knows you're a believer. You may think they don't, but they do. Many of them do. 
And so I say that in the regard that the Lord will give us wisdom because we have a watching world here. Now, 1 Corinthians 7, what's the point here? This chapter really has to do with marriage. It has to do with the unmarried state. It has to do with the married state. It has to do with the married one, maybe an unbeliever. It has to do with abandonment if one leaves. The separated state, it has to do with widows. But in the middle of this chapter, it speaks about let every man abide in the calling when he's called with God. Now I think I could speak for all of us here when I say we thank God for our brethren who have given up much to serve the Lord and sacrifice and labor and word and doctrine and the gospel, a great sacrifice to themselves. Thank God for you, brethren. God hasn't called everyone to that. The majority of us are going to spend, basically, if we're in the full-time workforce, 25 to 50%, depending on the week of our time and our life in the workplace. So it's important that we hear what the Word of God would give us instruction. Here are the slaves. There's nothing they could do. And in these verses, with the exception of one we come to, when it comes to the word servant, it's really bond slave. They didn't have a say in where they were working. But he said, don't be concerned about that. Don't be concerned about it. You're the Lord's free men. We sing a hymn, and bonds are perfect liberty. They weren't free to come and go as they will, but they could do the will of God from the heart where they were in their service. They could serve the Lord and look beyond the eye of their master. On the other hand, he says, if you may be made free, use it rather. There might be an opportunity for a slave to be made free. Well, use it rather. Thank God for the opportunity to move on. Use it rather. I think some of my family might be tired of me using this expression, use it rather, but It's been very helpful in the sense of Christian liberty. Sometimes we come into discussions and say, well, with respect to technology and the abuse of it and so on, we'll use it rather. Questions come up, especially in this day and age, about benefits and insurance and all the rest. Use it rather. You'll be before the Lord about it. Let's not be overly consumed by these things. If God has granted a provision, use it rather. Now here's the free man. You're not a free man. You're the Lord's bondman. There's no free agents in the work of God and the service of God. We all have a Lord. We all have a master that we report to. And what is the ultimate overriding challenge and exercise for us? He says, you're bought with a price. Don't be the servants of men. We sang it twice. We sang that hymn this morning. You are by Christ redeemed. The cost is precious blood. Lord, we are thine, bought by thy blood. I recognize there's a difference between purchase and redemption. Change of ownership versus change of condition. Redemption goes beyond purchase. But I would say this, when it comes to purchase, when it comes to being bought, there is an emphasis on the cost. That merchant man went and sold all that he had to buy that pearl of great price. With a price thy love has bought us. He said, don't be the servants of men. We may be outwardly in the place of servitude to men. But our servitude is to the blessed Lord. Be not the servants of men. Brethren, let every man where he's called therein abide with God. Are you in work where you can abide with God? Don't, don't necessarily try to get out of it. Sometimes there may be those that have been saved and they're in a situation in the work that they say, I don't think I can honor my, uh, the Lord in this situation. They may need to move on. So the point we want to bring here is that we, whatever place the Lord has put us, to 
to abide with God. You say, yes, but it says a calling. Isn't that beautiful? Here's the poor slave who did nothing but born into the servitude. But God says it's a calling. This is what you've been called to do. And as you're in that place, you serve the Lord. Now go on to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with thy service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good do willing services to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. I mentioned this, the thought of bond slaves. It's interesting. There are seven words in the New Testament that are translated servants and seven words that are translated master. I appreciated what Brother Bill said this morning. It's very interesting to get, I like to use W.E. Vines, New Testament book of New Testament terms. Read the words. You get a sense and you get a, a depth and an understanding and appreciation for passages and scriptures that you might not have otherwise had. So I mentioned this is, again, this is bond slaves. But here he says, to be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. Remarkable, isn't it? With fear and trembling. Why would that be? Fear and trembling in the workplace? You know, Paul writes to the Philippian assembly. He says that they had a little, a little contention that sprung up there in an otherwise happy, wonderful little assembly there. And he said to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because Paul wasn't there in my absence. And they had to work these things out. And often in our local assemblies, we have to work things out. And sometimes there's some rough sledding. We do it with fear and trembling. And James says, and many things you all often offend. Who of us is not offended with the tongue? I don't even like to think of how many times I've done that. But we're to do it with fear and trembling. Paul, when he preached to the Corinthians, he says, I was with you in fear and in much trembling. He recognized the gravity of what was at stake as he preached to them. But here we have fear and trembling in connection with the workplace. Why so? Well, I'll give you, suggest a few different areas. And the first I would like to address is the matter of integrity and honesty and truthfulness. For all that's said in the media and exposing this, uh, this chicanery and this scam and that fraud, uh, the heart of man is, is the same. And the believer may be called upon in certain situations to compromise. Not like our brethren in foreign lands that are faced with physical violence. But there, is, there may be in the workplace real pressure brought to, brought to bear for you to fudge. For you to go contrary to what you is, know is right before the eye of God. With a wink and a nod from your boss. We serve the Lord Christ. There's three men, at least in the Old Testament, that's spoken of as their integrity. One's Himalek, told God, he says, I did this thing in the integrity of my heart, taking Abraham's wife that he didn't touch. And God says, I know that. If you hadn't, you'd have been a dead man this morning. He did it in integrity. 
I love the thought of Nathaniel there, and the Lord says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. It doesn't mean in whom is no sin, but in whom is no guile. He wasn't a deceiver. He wasn't misleading. He wasn't deceptive. Integrity. David said, I will walk within mine house in the integrity of my heart. I think that's beautiful because we know there was a time when David did not walk in integrity before his heart. And Job, we know, he said, my integrity will I hold fast. He was a man of integrity called perfect by God himself. The problem with Job is he was proud about it. But integrity is so important. You compromise, you lie, the world knows about it, and you've just undermined your testimony for Christ. We had the uh, president of the company for some time. He's a very man. He's towered over everybody. You know, presence, as they say, and all the rest. The boss said, I've got no use for him and his little fish on his lapel. I know the man. And he went on to tell me some things about him. The world knows the little fish on his lapel did not, did not compensate for the things that he'd done. Fear and trembling, integrity. Next thing is our word. Our word. It says in 1 Timothy 4, that we're to be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, or conduct, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and purity. The world watches our words, what comes out of our mouth. I uh, remember occasion one time, and there was something that came up that angered me, frustrated me. And let me just say this too. Feelings are not wrong. I was impressed with the verses that was read this morning. We have such a high priest that cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities. Perhaps you'd like to, well, I'm, I operate in the realm of thought and of logic. I don't capitulate to mere feelings. But it says of Elijah, he was a man subject to like passions as we are, feelings. We have feelings, and you don't leave your feelings at the door when you go to the workplace. All that said, there was something I spoke too vigorously on. It wasn't obscene, it wasn't blasphemous, but I, I used a, a stronger expression. I don't remember what it was right now than I should have. My boss comes out of his door with that Cheshire cat grin from ear to ear with a twinkle in his eye and said, I never thought I would hear that from you. I made his day. I looked at him. But it just did, was a reminder This world is watching the words that come out of your mouth. Be careful with fear and trembling, the words that come out of our mouth. Mention one other thing, and this is delicate. But in the workplace, there are things, despite all the HR rules and guidelines and all the rest, there are sometimes relationships that develop that are not appropriate. I don't like to say too much, especially when everything gets put out in the, uh, in the uh, Internet nowadays. But I worked with a man and I worked with a woman. They were both married. She's not bashful about the Lord. Verses on the Bible, uh, Scripture verses in her, in her uh, workstation and all the rest. And it just was starting to bother me a little bit. But every time I was going back one of the conference rooms, the two of them are on the opposite side of the desk. I'm seeing this day in, day out, day in, day out. I understand we have to work with people. They didn't have to work that close together. And it bothered me. It bothered me a lot. Especially it bothered me when I heard the man who I didn't know that was the Lord talking 
pretty uh, rough to his wife on the phone. I thought, well, it'd be nice if he could speak to her the same way that he spoke to this woman there at work. I would say this matter ultimately got it resolved, thankfully. But you know, once again, the world watches and the world comments. They may not comment to you, but they will comment behind your back. They observe and pick these things up. We have to be careful. And he that trusteth his own heart is a fool. You've heard that before, but you haven't heard it as often as I did from my father. He that trusteth his own heart is a fool. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord. You're going to trust what's desperately wicked and is deceitful? Perhaps not. One other area, and that is on those occasions, there are times when we need to speak a word from the Lord. When I think of this verse of fear and trembling, I think of one incident in particular. This, again, this goes back, you know, two, three decades, but. We were on the cutting edge of technology. And we come up with this audit department and this new machine, new fangled machine that we were going to, you know, we we're going to report in real time data and all the rest. And, and um, anyway, it was being used as I, against it and against the team that I was managing. And I was bubbling this information back to the bosses. This isn't right. I don't care how, what, the, what the, the advancement in technology is. It's you know, garbage in, garbage out. So he said, okay, we'll document it, and, and you just feed that information to me. So I fed the information to him. And uh, so he said, well, one day he came in, and he said, well, you got a meeting with so-and-so, one of the new high, you know, one of the hired guns that he, that comes in the executive management level that paid big money to bring from someone else who was heading up this department. And he said, well, you're going to go have a meeting with him. Well, I said, you're going to come along? He says, no. Always have your people's back when you're a boss. But anyway, so we went up there. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty nervous. I'm, I'm just young. You know, family's young. I don't, I don't want to. I don't get sideways with this new, with this new um, executive. And he's there with the audit team, which was one person. My former boss, a woman, was a Mormon. So we got, we got into it. <clears throat> he stated his piece. I stated my piece. And he starts ratcheting up the pressure. He says at one point, because I wasn't budging. He says, look, he swore, and he said, even Jesus Christ sinned. We finished the conversation up, and even my former boss just turned white as a sheep. Verses that we have before us about denying the Lord yesterday came with real power to me. Like the Lord said, if you leave this room, Without saying something about what was just said, you're going to deny me. I said, well, said none. I said, I think I agree with everything that's been said, except one thing. I looked at the man. I said, Jesus Christ never sinned. He blubbered and he sputtered and said something unintelligible. I walked out. I thank God if there's anything I've ever done for the Lord, I believe it was that. You cannot deny our Lord, but it was with fear and trembling. There are things that we cannot let go, or else we will be denying our Lord. With fear and trembling. Also takes up about masters. You know, some of us or some of you own your own business and and uh, that's 
That's, it has to be a unique challenge. Sometimes we've been in the place of being middle managers. But when you're in an, owner, or an ownership or a management role, there is a real responsibility connected with that. And there's one thing that we're not to do. It says here, forbearing, threatening. The Darby says, giving up, threatening. Not just moderating it, as we have in the, in the King James. Giving up, threatening. You say it's a mighty convenient tool. It's not a tool, it's a weapon. And we're not to use it. And I say these things right now because I've <clears throat> looked back and I've had, um, had some marvelous bosses. And some horrible ones. Some may have been the Lord's, others not. Just because you're a believer does not make you a good manager, does not make you a good boss. I met my brother the other day for lunch, and we were talking about this for, or, uh, for a little visit one evening. And, you know, I said, there's something that's really struck me of late. And you remember Naaman the Syrian, the chief captain there? He was a Syrian. He wasn't an Israelite, right? And as he went there to Elisha to... Uh, be healed of his leprosy, and um, Elisha had a servant go tell him, go wash in the Jordan seven times. And, and Naaman loses it. He's enraged at this insult to a man of his stature. But what I find most instructive in that passage, his servants said, we, we can't let him go back down without being healed. And so they went and entreated him as a father. They said, Father, if you would have Bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather when he said, wash and be clean? You listen to his servants. There must have been something care they had for him, and there must have been some reason they wanted to see their master clean. And he listened, and he got the blessing. He was a Syrian. We know later on he embraced the God of Israel, but he was a Syrian. For our purposes this afternoon, he was an unbeliever. Now, there's another man. Not Naaman, but Nabal. You remember Nabal. He's the one that, when David was on the, on the run from Saul, and, and David and his men protected Nabal's men from harm and danger, and they said, these like a, it was at the, like they surround us with fire, and they protect us. There, there's no harm. They will look after us. And Nabal said, who then is David? Who is the son of Jesse? He had no regard to David, and David was... David was on the warpath. What was the reaction or the response of Nabal's servants to this man who was of the tribe of Judah, who was a Calebite, the descendant? I take it directly from Caleb. Good heritage, huh? They said, go talk to Abigail. Why? They said of Nabal, he is such a Belial, son of Belial that a man cannot speak unto him. I'm not wasting my breath. Tell Nabal about anything, even if his life is on the line, because you can't say anything to him. What a horrible position to be in. A man that was a Calebite of the tribe of Jude and his servants said, don't even waste, save your breath, because he won't listen to you. Is that the character a Christian can have in the workplace? Save your breath. It's troubling when I see, maybe I've had my own part in it, I'm sure I've had. Christians, brethren, believers that love the Savior that cannot take correction. You're not right on everything. At some point you're wrong. Why the defensiveness? And we carry that into the assembly sometimes. 
Well, I find these masters here, the character of threatening. That's not where God has put us in place. Well, the servants to be fear and trembling. Go to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. You say, well, that sounds very similar to Ephesians, and indeed it is similar to Ephesians, but there are a couple of differences I'd like to point out. You notice back in verse 17, it says, in a more general sense, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And here we have in verse uh, 22, that with uh, that we're to do in singleness of heart, fearing God. Obey in all things. I like the little story of the... Uh, Brother, he went to an older brother and said, uh, do you think we should encourage the young people to do something for the Lord? The older brother said, no. I believe we should encourage them to do everything for the Lord. That's Colossians 3. You open the door of the office, you leave the door of the house, whether you're in the field or in the factory or on the road or in the home, whatever the sphere might be, we're there to do what we do is unto the Lord, and we're to do it heartily. Reference was made this morning to the Proverbs. Reference was made to the ant. I grew up with a steady diet of Proverbs. Proverbs, Proverbs, Proverbs. Every morning, Proverbs. At some of it. You know, well, there's other parts of the Scripture, you know, the Proverbs, and and we did read different places in the evening, and, and we've kind of followed that same tack ourselves, though. You know, the Proverbs, it's interesting, you can get these different characters. The 26th chapter is very interesting, all these different characters that are brought in. But you can trace out a line of thing. And one of the lines is the slothful. You know, he that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. If what I am doing, I'm doing it heartily unto the Lord, I'm not going to be slothful. I'm not going to be a sluggard. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not going to be indolent. I'm going to be a productive, energetic worker. Who can tell me where that verse is? Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord negligently. Oh, you see, you're quoting Darby. Yes, it's deceitfully in the King James. Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord negligently. And in our context this afternoon, the work of the Lord is everything that we do. Well, I will say, just Jeremiah 48. I had to look it up. But what I was intrigued about is it came right to another verse I was thinking about, Moab. Remember Moab, it was a son of Lot, but the descendants. What characterized Moab, says in Jeremiah 48, he has been at ease from his youth. He's not been emptied from vessel to vessel, therefore his scent remains in him. In other words, the sediment of the wine that soaked down without being emptied from vessel to vessel, the stench would just become stronger. His scent remained in him. The Lord puts us through trials that is less of what we are naturally, and Christ has worked into us. But the point is about Moab there. He's been at ease from his youth. It's the picture of slothfulness and laziness, and Proverbs condemns slothfulness in no uh, in uncertain terms. 
we need to be heartily unto the Lord. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. You know, I just mentioned this as a side because we are humans, and I do find, and it, it, it's, it's frightened me because we are vulnerable to the same things that those in the world are of. Sometimes you may have an employer, a boss that does you wrong. Sometimes there's things that work against you, and we don't need to spin it and try to say it's, it's understandable. Wrong is wrong. We don't want to be defending the indefensible, but these things do happen. But the danger that we can fall into, one of the dangers we can fall into is if something wrong happens is we develop a poor me attitude, self-pity. Self-pity is disastrous because it brings us down, okay, we'll even the score then. I will not work as hard, I will not work as diligently as I should, back off a little bit. You want to play ball that way? Then we'll fine, we'll play ball that way. Very dangerous to get the spirit of self-pity seen it where those that have backed off, and then you get into situations where they've perhaps not handled things as properly and upright as they should, it's not a good thing. We want to always keep our eye on the Lord and do heartily unto the Lord, even if the masters have done us wrong. Notice chapter 4, verse 1, another word to masters, give unto your servants what is just and equal, or just and fair. A lot of comments today made about being fair. Well, for the Christian master, that is what the desire is to be. That we are fair. It's not like husbands love your wives. It's not that we're to love our employees, but we are to be fair with them and do what's right before God in that context. What is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. In Ephesians 6, I believe the point is that their ma- the master, both theirs and yours, now, we have the same master. And so how important these things are, because you just can't flip the switch. You and I can't flip the switch from being godly and honorable in the home or in the assembly and not on the job. doesn't work that way. And so we find these instructions within the, within the, within the workplace. Go over to 1 Timothy now, chapter 1. I want to move along here. Let as many servants, chapter 6, verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort. I'd like to read that second verse in the Darby translation. It says, but let them the rather serve them with subjection because they are faithful and beloved who profit by the good and ready service rendered. Servants who are under the yoke. Oh, you say, I thought we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I knew a brother and um, it was his position. Don't agree with it. I don't believe it's scriptural, but that was his conviction before the Lord. He believed that working for someone was an unequal yoke if they were an unbeliever. I don't see that, how these servants, bond slaves, that unbelieving masters, how that would be considered a yoke. We're under the yoke, not in a yoke. Like the old Italian proverb, he that has a partner has a master. You go into an unequal yoke with an unbeliever, there's only one way you can go, and that's down, despite the strategic wisdom of these these decisions, at least in an outward way. It's talking about servants that are under the yoke. And it says in Lamentations chapter 3 that it is good... For a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. 
Two things on that. The first thing is we need to learn when we're young to be able to take orders and instructions. We're not calling the shots. We're following through on what we're instructed to do. Also, a yoke is not generally just one. You work with others. The ability to work together. You know, I've sometimes thought of this. Why does it say in, uh, about the, uh, the, uh, the elders and their wives if they brought up children? It didn't say a child. It says children. And I thought it's this way. is because they know how to ha- need to ha- have some experience in handling disputes within the home. But that's an aside. At any rate, he says to count them worthy of all honor. Respect. I don't need to tell you the disrespect that there is to authority, and that extends even in the workplace. But the Word of God tells us that the master is to be counted worthy of all honor. In chapter, the prior chapter speaks about those elders, the overseers that rule well, they're to be counted worthy of double honor. Honor because of their age. Double honor because of the way they carry out their responsibilities. Here the employer is to be treated with all honor. Why? That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. If we do not treat those that are over us in the workplace with honor, all honor, it will reflect badly on the name of our God. It will reflect badly on the teaching of the word of God. So that's what your Bible reads like, huh? We need to bear in mind it reflects directly on the name of God. Paul could write the Jews there in Romans 2 or 3, 2 I guess it is, that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, because of their ways. Who got blamed for their ways? God did. But then it says about believing masters, and this is another delicate matter. Sometimes you're working for a brother in Christ. Well, this this is excellent because they'll cut you some slack. They will be more understanding and they will appreciate uh, uh, some of the challenges you, you have. Well, there's a danger that we despise them, but it says, but rather do them service. And again, as a Darby renders it, who profit, the faithful and beloved who profit by the good and ready service rendered. Well, if I have a Christian employer or a boss, it is just one additional reason to work harder because of my good and ready service. Let's go to Titus chapter 1, please. Again, one of my desires is not to get in the way of what the Scripture says. To let it stand, let it speak for itself, and be exercised by it. And as as I was struggling through this, is this really a topic that would be appropriate? Well, it is the Word of God. And uh, it is appropriate, but as I just read the scriptures themselves, I was convicted in reading some of these scriptures. Let the word of God just search us out. Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Once again, the importance of being obedient to our masters, to please them well in all things. Oh, you say, I thought we just read we're not to be man-pleasers. I'm a God-pleaser, not a man-pleaser. But it says here, to please them well in all things, or to make ourselves acceptable to them. We can't control their reaction and response, but we need all to do that we can to make ourselves an acceptable servant. 
I'm not talking again about compromise. We've already gone down that path. But to do what we can to, to be a good employee for their benefit. Not answering again. Back talk. Has no place in the home. Has no place for the Christian in the workplace. That's not high truth. But how many of us have failed in it? Not answering again. That's not showing all honor to the boss. I'm not talking either about having a reasoned conversation. I'm thankful for boss who can sit down and have an honest disagreement. What happened to the day of having an honest disagreement? And talking through it and working through it. But not the spirit of backtalk. Not purloining. What's that? That's appropriating your master's good and using it for yourself. In 1 Corinthians 4, we, we read that in stewards, it is required that a man be found faithful. Oh, you say the references there is into the mysteries, the reference to the mysteries of God. We need to be faithful in the mysteries of God and that spiritual heritage that we have. Verses quoted this morning, or yesterday, I think it was this morning, but he that is faithful in little, that which is another man's. We're to be faithful in little before we're faithful in much. We're to be faithful in these small matters. But here, to not prolong, not to appropriate what is our master's for our own benefit. Call it stealing, if you will, but showing all good fidelity. One other thing about stealing. You know, I, I, I don't want to bring everybody down with these marvelous meetings that we've had and just drag things in from the world, but... We're in the world, you know these things, and how do we face some of these challenges? Challenges we've had, the company just clamping down because, you know, the productivity of the American worker is just shooting up and up and up. I haven't heard that lately. But I know that's not the challenge we're faced with, is, is with Netflix and people using social media on the boss's time. That's stealing from your boss, especially if you're on the clock. He's not paying you to watch movies. Uh, and, and the company's had to clamp down. And you think people would learn, but no, people are losing their job. Stealing from the company, purloining, but showing all good fidelity. What's that? That's loyalty. You say, well, I don't believe in blind loyalty. No, but we need to be loyal. Loyal to the person, company that gives us our paycheck. Have you ever thought there in 1 Corinthians or Galatians 5, I should say, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so on, and then we'll fly right past that little word faith. You say, well, faith, that's how, I mean, we all have faith in God. What's the force of that word faith? Or fidelity, or faithfulness, or loyalty. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't it refreshing to see someone that's loyal, someone that says, I'm standing with, whether it's wonderful in marriage, Whether it's in the workplace, wherever it is, to see someone that is loyal. And that's what we have here. And why? That we might adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. We wouldn't want the world to say, would we? Well, if that's Christianity, the way you conduct your business, I want no part of it. We're to adorn the doctrine. It isn't the doctrine. But our manner of life, and again, whatever sphere it is, we just singled out this one area of the workplace this afternoon. Wouldn't it be nice that the way we carry out our affairs of life in in, in the workplace, that it adorns the doctrine, that it makes it attractive. See, I like that. I want that. One final verse in 1 Peter. 
chapter 2, verse 18. We'll read verse 17 as well. <clears throat> Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward or to the ill-tempered. So we see there is that honor to all men, those in authority, so on. But here in servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. That this really is a state, and sometimes the verse has to do with displaying that attitude when the occasion arises. Other, it has to do with the state. But here we're to be sub, submit ourselves, or rather, um, be subject to our masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. This is extremely difficult. We've had a few comments about the Christian's behavior in a managerial role or an ownership role. But sometimes we are faced with a situation like this where we're faced with, as Scripture says, unreasonable men and the ill-tempered. And how we need to seek real grace from the Lord that, we, that we're subject to that one. They, they need the Savior. And sometimes we see those that are virtually out of control. But we're to, to, uh, to be subject to them, even if they're ill-tempered. You know, it says in verse 15, it's in relationship to the government, but the point is this, for so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know, there are, there are times that you may face the opposition of this world uh, they, because you belong to Christ. Not because you're a bad employee, not because you've had a bad attitude, but because they hate Christ. And these things are very challenging as well. That there, is, there may be reproach. And so how important it is for us to accept that as, as, uh, as, as, as honoring our Lord in that situation. I worked with a young man. He's not a young man anymore, but um, he always had, very capable, very capable in, in what he did, but he always had a joke, corny, saying something. And uh, there, were some, there were some opportunities, there were some promotions to be had, and he was certainly qualified in certain areas, and Another man that had the decision, who I didn't deal with much, but he wanted to share something with me just by the way. He said, well, I called him in my office. said, you're not getting the job because you're the company clown. Man's a believer. That's not the testimony to have. It's nice to have a sense of humor. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves. We need to go with the flow at times and enjoy it. But we're here to spend the time of our sojourning here in fear. Not to be a jokester. Not to be uh, one that's constantly trying to find the, the joke in a situation or the levity. We have a, we have a responsibility to serve Christ in the workplace. And so I do recognize that what we brought before us this afternoon, as I say, it's not deep and it's not complicated, but I am convicted that it is critically important in our testimony for the Lord. Well, may the Lord give us grace to act for him where we are. And, uh, you know, when we make mistakes or when we fail, you'll find even with the world an apology 
An acknowledgement that I've done wrong is generally received very well and can often open an opportunity. Let's sing number 13 in closing. And I recognize that scripturally we don't have the expression child of God. It's consistently the collective children of God. But with that recognition, it's still a nice hymn. Let's sing 13. Child of God by creation, rise or sin and fear and care, joy to find in every station, something still to do or Thirteen in the appendix. thy word and seek to walk in the good of it and instruction of it that we might bear testimony for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that one who loved us who gave himself for us now blessed Lord we desire to live for thee help us in these things in thy precious name we pray Amen. amen, amen.